Meet the Press recently did a segment on Pastor Doug Wilson and some of his beliefs that are supposedly controversial, even though they've been around for thousands of years. Meet the Press wants you to ask the question, are Christians getting more radical in this post-Trump era? I've got a better question. Why does it seem that the only kind of bigotry that is tolerated in our society is bigotry towards Christians? We'll talk about that and more today on IndieThinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. You may be a man or woman, and yes, those are the only two options, watching this program now, and maybe you're filled with vision, you're filled with ambition and purpose, and you want to start a robust business, but you're not sure if you have the manpower to do it, or the expertise in certain areas that you need to have a robust business, and that's okay, because our friends over at Anchor can help you. There's enough challenges going on right now in our present economy that you don't need to add to it trying to figure out how to do bookkeeping, accounting, and other things overnight when you've never done it before. That's why you need to trust the experts over at Anchor. Anchor is your one-stop shop for business solutions, payroll, hiring, and accounting, and so much more. They can help you with vision. They're helping us with vision here at IndieThinker, and they're ready to promote your business and help you go to the next level. But to do that, you need to go to ancur.biz today. And if you do so, they're running a special right now on payroll solutions if you let them know that IndieThinker sent you. So make sure to go over there right now and see how they can help you put legs underneath your vision. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Recently in Dearborn, Michigan, in a local public school district, Muslims and Christians banded together to protest some of the LGBTQIA plus activism that is going on in their local school system. So here's what that looked like. Stop! They shut down the meeting! We know who we're voting out. We're going to petition. Have them recall. <laughs> Now, it's clearly a heartwarming thing to see that people with religious differences are joining together, especially to unite over a common belief that children should be protected. Now, this is what we have believed for the longest time, and I'm not so sure that we do anymore, that a liberal society is really built upon. The idea that the the citizens, the, the, dima, the demos, the people can actually lift their voice in opposition to their to their leaders to their rulers and here christians and muslims are doing that in a notable way because they're pushing their religious differences aside to grab a hold of an idea that is that is simply bigger than all of us frankly which is that children are precious and deserve to be protected in fact it's so big it's almost a god idea you might say and these religious people seem to be tuning in to the reality of this thing. And so in Dearborn, where there's a multitude of Muslims, um, just a dense population of Muslims, Christians and Muslims have joined together to, to protest. Now, if you look at the media and the reports coming out about this incident, what you will find is something that Christians have experienced for a very long time. You'll look at Christians being demonized as the ones who are putting all of this pressure upon the school district and 
creating all of these events. And then the Muslims will come out as the dupes who are just being led astray by these Christians. This is kind of the framing that happens very often in the media. And like I say, this is not atypical for Christians because Christians are very used to a media bias or an anti-Christian bias in the things that they hear in the news media. This is far too common. And so the question may be, why does the media or people in the media seem to hate Christianity so much? And there's a very simple answer here. The reason for that is that, by and large, the people in the media are not Christians. And if they are, they're the kind of Christians that that Democrats are um, on, on the left, the kind of people who say they're Catholic, you know, and never go to mass and never go to confession. If we're asked what their favorite passage of the Bible is, they would probably say something like Jesus wept or John 3.16 or something that is pretty common knowledge. Um, so if they are Christians, they're nominal at best, but by and large, many of them have no understanding of Christianity whatsoever. And of course, we know that that which you do not know, you always hate or at least you always misunderstand. And it's very easy to do that. And let's face it, the media is in the habit of taking the path of least resistance these days. Instead of actually doing investigative journalism and real work, simply they will find the Goliath and then they'll try to act as the David. And they'll throw stones at that giant until they can try to take that thing down. It's the easiest and oldest tactic in, in media. So the media is truly ignorant when it comes to Christianity, so they misrepresent it all the time. And when they come into contact with real Christianity, it's truly shocking to them when they finally hear it because they have no concept of it whatsoever. Now, the real problem with this is that there is also a contingent of people in America, especially today, who, like the media, wish to castigate mainstream positions and mainstream ideas like Christianity, which is still mainstream even though we are slowly but surely becoming a post-Christian nation. Uh, they wish to castigate anything that is mainstream because they are in the minority and they're truly petty and jealous. And I'm not being ad hominem here. They really resent the fact that they are in the minority and they wish to be the majority. Now, let's talk about minority positions here for just a moment so that we can fully understand this. You're in the minority for one of two reasons. It's not because you're so radical and countercultural. In fact, you're in the minority most often, one, because you might have a point in your position, but you don't have the platform to really espouse your ideas, and therefore they don't have the kind of audience that, that they deserve. So that could be why you're in the minority. Now, there's another group of people in the minority, and those people are in the minority simply because they don't deserve the kind of platform that you, that you need to be in the majority, because their ideas are spiritually bankrupt, incoherent, irrational, and mentally bankrupt. Now, these kind of people who understand that their ideas cannot stand up to scrutiny but still crave the position of the majority will resort to a very simple two-step plan to try to minimize the majority so that they can take the place of the majority and get out of the minority. And so this, this two-step plan sounds like this. One, scream about your position as loud as possible so that people cannot ignore you. That seems pretty simple, right? Be as obnoxious as you possibly can be, and then people will have to listen because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Now, step two. Step two is this. Silence the opposition at all 
cost. Now, the reason they do this is simply because the opposition has built their house and has built it and built it well. And the those in the, in the minority who really are in the minority because they deserve to be in the minority, they've built their house too, but it's a way less uh, substantive matter. Think about the three little pigs here, and that's what comes to mind for me. If you blow just the slightest bit upon the house that those in these minority positions have built, their, their house comes tumbling down. So if you deign to actually ask questions, engage somebody in these positions, and try to critique or debate somebody who is espousing these spiritually bankrupt and mentally bankrupt ideological positions, if you try to debate these people, they will simply scream all that much louder and resist you even more because they know the slightest bit of scrutiny will cause their house to come tumbling down. These kind of people in the minority often make references to being oppressed and being marginalized and all of these things simply because they do not want you to look behind the curtain and see what's really there. And the slightest bit of scrutiny will do that. So this is why it is important for Christians, even though there are those who wish to marginalize them and wish to push them out of the mainstream, that, that we voice our thoughts on issues like what's going on in the public school system. We voice our issues on, uh, voice on issues like what's going on in gender clinics around America, especially pediatric gender clinics. We voice our thoughts on what's going on in uh, abortion clinics and Planned Parenthoods all over the United States. We voice our opinion because we understand that yelling is just simply a tactic to scare rational thought away. And the more rational thought exits the public square, the crazier the world becomes. And we've seen that also in unison with a retreat from Christian ideas in the public square. And that brings us to our story today that we'll check out on Christianity Not Today. For our intrepid gumshoe journalist class who has forgotten how to do investigative journalism, they are now deeply, deeply, deeply concerned with Christian nationalism. No, they're not concerned with the gender transition of minors, double mastectomy for 13-year-olds and castration for 13-year-olds. They're not interested in that. They're not interested in the millions of babies who uh, are killed each year under the knives of Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics. No, they don't care to actually investigate those things. They don't care about baby parts being sold on the uh, on the open market after these uh, these abortion procedures have taken place. No, 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 no. No, what they're actually concerned with is the specter of Christian nationalism, which to date has killed approximately zero people. But doesn't stop them from claiming that Christian nationalism is the single biggest threat in America. And our number one Christian nationalist, of course, is Mr. Doug Wilson. And so we'll see in this interview some things that I think deserve response, and I'm going to respond to them here today. But, but also, I, there's a panel discussion afterwards that I think is really important that deserves some, some response. Um, as you might imagine, this is the case, and Doug knew this going in, that Meet the Press is going to be very selective in their edits. 
Now, I only say that, that should be a given at this point in time, that the whole interview and what needed to be said was probably cut out. But I only say that because now we have an opportunity in the aftermath of that to respond. So that's why the response. But there's also a more important thing at the end of the day that we'll get toward the end of, uh, of our conversation here, which is simply that we hear a lot about tolerance, but find it so very, very represented when it comes in the form of conversations with Christians. And, and what I mean by that is, is just simply this, is that the only kind of uh, phobia that we don't have a name for is when it comes to hatred towards Christians. So we've got Islamophobia, phobia, we've got homophobia, we've got transphobia, and the, the list can go on and on and on. But what is the word for hatred toward Christians? Well, there, there isn't one. And you might ask yourself why that is. And the reason for that is simply because the only kind of hate that is tolerated in America is hatred towards Christians. And then you might have to ask yourself, why is that? Now, I think personally, you'll see that in this interview today with Doug Wilson. So let's jump into it. Pastor Doug Wilson leads Christ Church in what he calls a Cold War civil war. Our rights come to us from God and not from the government. Fighting in, of all places, a college town. Moscow, home to University of Idaho and just eight miles from Washington State University, exudes a live and let live vibe. One of the interesting things about Moscow is how these two entities live side by side, and I mean literally. Right behind me, that's the offices of the Christ Church. And right next door is the headquarters for the local Democratic Party. Live and let live, huh? Well, that is, of course, unless you happen to be the dreaded F-word, you stinking fundamentalist, uh, then you're not allowed to live and let live. Then you're not allowed to espouse the liberal principle of free speech or any of the like. Um, of course, then you become the subject of a Meet the Press uh, interview where you are castigated for your radical beliefs. Now, I just love this. Uh, the culture and the media, along with them, develop a belief about 10 minutes ago. And then Christians who have been believing things for thousands of years all of a sudden are castigated as the weird ones. Uh, now, uh, you'll see that here as Doug Wilson is questioned about homosexual marriage. So in your version of a Christian town, would there be a place for non-believers? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Would, would yeah. there be a place for same-sex couples? But you mean legally? Yes. You mean like uh, marriage? Mm -hmm. uh, no, no marriage. But there'd be uh, same-sex couples. No marriage, even though it's the law of the land in the United States? Uh, just like Roe used to be, right? In my uh, belief system, in our doctrinal stand, and what we believe the Bible teaches, homosexuality is not only a choice, but a sinful one. Yes. Now, Doug didn't go into detail here, and you almost wish he would. And Perhaps he probably did uh, in the original take of this, but that was certainly cut from, from the interview. So Doug's position is just simply this, that if the, the church were the ones running things in the, in the state and perhaps just in their city, then there would be a place for unbelievers, but there would not be a place for legally recognized homosexual unions. And this was the case up until about 10 minutes ago in America. And so... Here's what I wish we would have gotten into a conversation with, or at least it would have been explained so that people can understand. 
Now, far be it for me, by the way, to feel like I have to defend a position that's been normal for for hundreds of years in America um, to a position that is relatively new on the scene. But nonetheless, because I'm such a compassionate and loving individual, here we go. Uh, the state is only involved in marriage in the first place because ultimately they wanted to encourage the facilitation of the next generation and healthy marriages because marriages that produce children uh, that don't stay together typically cost the taxpayers of that state more money. So the state got involved a long time ago and said, hey, what we're going to try to do uh, try to do is we're going to try to facilitate a couple of things. We're going to try to facilitate child rearing because when more children are created, that's more workforce and that's uh, more people that then to buy goods for. And it's it's an economic boost and it's a general incentive for the government to have more people in a society. Of course, unless you're into that whole great reset stuff. You know, population growth in poor countries is the biggest problem they face. But nonetheless, uh, generally speaking, more people is a good thing unless you're a villain uh, in a Bond movie. And so we want to facilitate that. And the way that that happens, by the way, in case you were curious, is not within the context of homosexual unions. It happens within the context of a man and a woman. So real marriage. So the state got involved in endorsing marriage between a man and a woman because it produces children. And because when those unions were officially held together and those unions stayed together, it also w tended to provide more economic incentive also for society. Rather than having just individuals living autonomously, uh, doing their own thing, which ultimately was not the best situation for the state, people in the union of a marriage with children was actually a great boon for the economy and a great boon for the state. So they got in interested in marriage from a I hate to use the qualifier traditional, but from a traditional perspective. Now, just recently, we've had this conversation on a rights basis, which Doug Wilson has already said come, rights come from, from God and not from the state. But nonetheless, the whole point here is, is that even from just a logical perspective, that kind of incentive for homosexual marriage doesn't exist. And so I plainly think that the state shouldn't be involved in it whatsoever. But if we're going to make an argument for the state being involved anyway, the only reason they would be involved, the only dog they have in the fight, is within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman that produces children for the facilitation of the better health of the, the community. And you might ask yourself, if the media truly is interested in the better health of the community, why aren't they investigating things like women in burqas and, uh, and the gender transitioning of minors? And we could go on and on and on. Uh, but, but it just seems that they're interested in trying to figure out a way to shine, uh, shine a poor light upon on Christians for, for beliefs that they've held for thousands of, of years. And there's one more thing to say about this. Everybody believes that there should be restrictions in marriage, even people on the radical left. We don't believe that we should be marrying child brides or marrying people to, to animals. Everybody believes in restrictions for marriage. The question is, where do we draw the line? And this brings up the broader context of Christian nationalism, because ultimately, if we believe that we're going to draw the line somewhere, the question then becomes, where do we draw the line? And I don't see any reason, no objective evidence, why we should draw the line using secular humanistic principles 
and not biblical principles. So even if you don't agree with me, you're still going to have to ask yourself the question, where could we draw a line that we can mutually agree upon that that should be the basis for what we actually constitute marriage being in the American West? And again, that was only a radical question up until 10 minutes ago. We always knew where to draw that line in the past, not only because of our Judeo-Christian tradition, but also because of just obvious, clear observation that anybody with a prefrontal cortex and working eyes can draw, which is that there is a difference in kind between homosexual marriage and a marriage between a man and a woman. So uh, heterosexual marriage and homosexual marriage are, are two vastly different things. You have to be honest with this. One pr- clearly produces children, which was the original and basic confines and, and purpose of marriage, and the other does, does not, okay? This is not a controversial position. This is obvious. So there is a difference in kind and a difference in intrinsic value just simply based upon observation, even pushing pushing religious arguments to the side. All right, but um, that doesn't stop them from going on and uh, trying to expose the radical nature of uh, Doug Wilson's beliefs as they continue with the interview. Do you consider Christ Church a church? I don't. Really? I really don't. What is it then? Um, I, I see it as a, as a, a dominionist cult. Reverend Dr. Elizabeth Stevens leads the Unitarian Universalist Church of the Palouse. In the public square, I don't see them representing Christianity. I don't see them representing the values that, that I find in the Bible. I see them representing patriarchy. I see them... Uh, fighting the culture war. Unfortunately, the major representatives for Christianity are those who typically represent Christianity the the least. Uh, so we think about the, like the megachurch pastor or the, um, uh, the, the celebrity pastor. These are the guys who typically speak on behalf of Christianity. So, right, we get it, we understand. Uh, but, but here we have probably the worst case scenario is we have a female universalist, Unitarian pastor telling us about the official Christian doctrine. So a heretic is being asked on Meet the Press to officially dictate Christian doctrine for us now. Um, So talk about somebody that's kind of a poor representative for the Christian faith. I think at times that has fallen on the shoulders of people like David Platt most recently, and certainly almost always when Judah Smith opens his mouth. Uh, but but this is this one takes the cake with a woman Unitarian pastor becoming the the spokesperson for uh, for authentic Christian belief. Now um, uh, they'll they'll go on and they'll kind of they'll kind of tip their hand a little bit in some following interviews with not just other heretics in the community and what they think about Christian views, but also some people, uh, just some civilians, some uh, some citizens of the city and what they think about what's been going on at the church. So here's that. We found what at first we thought was a very welcoming community. There was something every day, something new, some sort of baby shower or something for the school. You get very swept up in all of it. Until they heard this message from another pastor in the church. Women should wear women's clothes. They shouldn't wear pants. Shouldn't have short hair. Shouldn't have short hair. Shouldn't, um, men shouldn't wear earrings. No one should have tattoos. And then there was this, a psalm sing in the middle of the pandemic, protesting the local mask mandate, retweeted by then President Trump. That was when I realized that these 
were not people trying to spread awareness or trying to spread the good news of Christ. It was people trying to say, look at us, we are so oppressed. Now do me a favor, I want you to look at that couple again. Do you actually think that that couple literally went to Doug Wilson's church? Highly skeptical. Even if they did, you think they they really went and just they got really upset because they didn't think Doug Wilson would be speaking from the Bible that day. I know, like they say, talking about women wearing pants and short hair and all that kind of stuff, which I know Doug Wilson pretty well. Pretty sure that that wasn't what was spoken that day. Um, I, I just color me skeptical a little bit about this one. But nonetheless, the reason I showed you that clip is just this, uh, this allegation that the church is just out there to draw attention to themselves for being oppressed. Now, the last I heard from the media... Whenever anybody is oppressed, you got to speak truth to power, man. You got to stick it to the man. So, whenever anybody's oppressed, we do the story about the people who are oppressing them, not the church being the one who's who's the problem. So, we'll see this again in yet another interview with a with a couple in the city right here. As someone who was served on the city council, I haven't seen any traction gained in that area. There the last two elections, there were some um, candidates who were members of Christ Church, and those elections were uh, very uneven. <laughs> and um, I would call it a landslide. Uh, there you go. In yeah. defeat. Yes. I, I certainly feel that there is a double standard in the media, but oppress us all you want, because the truth is, is that when the church is pressed upon, we have the tendency to know exactly what to do in that situation: is to stand flat-footed and declare the message of Jesus all that much more. And that's exactly what Doug Wilson is doing and also what he's getting in trouble for. So just some parting thoughts about this interview that I think are important to, to take into account before we too quickly jump on the bandwagon of the media and join haters of Christian Christianity, which for the life of me, I don't understand why Christians are so quick to do so. Perhaps it's because we don't think for ourselves enough and we let the media do our thinking for us. But just a couple of questions here. Pretend you're Doug Wilson and you are a pastor in Moscow. Um, a very, very blue city in the midst of a bunch of different red cities. So think about that for a moment and think about the issues Doug is dealing with as a pastor in that community. So you may not speak on a regular basis about homosexual marriage, but that's because on a regular basis, that's not something your congregation is dealing with. Doug is, and he needs to speak about it, and he needs to share why Christians believe it. The other thing is this, is that I think we realize that the reason that Christians are more and more coming under scrutiny by the media today is that the world is shifting further and further and further left. But it doesn't mean that we do. It doesn't mean that we fall for the false tears of people willing to emotionally blackmail us and say uh, evil things about us and call us the bigots while they're exposing their religious bigotry consistently against people who disagree with them. The world has shifted, but we cannot afford to, as the church, we must stand our ground and stand as flat-footed as possible. And the other thing is this, as Christians, I hate to remind you of this, but there is no commandment in the Bible to be nice. Sure, be nice, that's, that's fine, but your job is to speak the truth in love, not to be nice. And there's a difference between those two things. And so we'll round out the episode this way. I promised somebody in the comment section that I would respond to their comment. I think this is a perfect setting in which to do so. So Deborah S. recently commented on an episode of Indie Thinker where, uh, on our guest show, where I had Stovall Weems come on and talk about 
his um, his interaction with his former church, him resigning there, and his lawsuit against that church, and all of that stuff. So it's an exciting um, interview. I think I think it's provocative. Uh, you can put, uh, access that interview, uh, that guest show, down below in 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 the uh, description of this podcast. But but in um, the conversations in the comment section there, uh, Deborah S said this. Um, she well. She said lots of things, by the way. She wrote basically the first chapter of a book, but only one thing I want to point out here. She, she started by asking why I inserted my opinion in the interview at all and didn't just ask questions, throw out allegations, and then make Stovall respond to those things. And um, frankly, I get this a lot from from Christians, especially down in the comment section, but also in personal interactions. I, I've had this with Christians a lot. Why speak about these things? Why not just preach the gospel? Don't talk about politics and so on and so forth. Or And this one's my favorite. Just keep it simple. Just keep it about Jesus. Well, friend, do you know that Jesus is perhaps one of the most complex and interesting figures in all of history? And to oversimplify Jesus would be to disservice Jesus and his ministry here on this earth, which is why I can never afford to minimize and oversimplify who Jesus was and what he stood for. Jesus is precious like a diamond and also like a diamond. You shine a light through him and you see light cast in a million different directions as it shines through the prism of that diamond. In the same way, if you shine a light through Jesus, and Jesus is the light, shining light on all of these issues that go on in society, demanding that a Christian response come from us in the midst of all of these things. And so, Deborah, this is why I insert my opinion. Uh, Now, I responded to Deborah, and I said, why insert your opinion in this comment section? And I'm admittedly sometimes a little facetious and a little sarcastic. It's a uh, definitely one of the tools in my tool belt, uh, for better or worse. And while I was being a little bit tongue-in-cheek with her, I was also trying to get to a point. So, Deborah, here's what I was saying in my comment. I was telling you this, that you just got done inserting your opinion about all of the things that went on in this interview. Why is it any different when I'm inserting my opinion in the interview in the first place? You see the point here? There is absolutely no difference. And that's why I wish to try to insert my opinion in my thoughts on issues so that we can critically think about them as much as possible. This is how people think, Deborah. People think by sharing their thoughts and then people responding to those thoughts. I have lots of thoughts on a bunch of different things, which is why I do a podcast. Um, Now, you might call that opinionated or you might call it open thought, open thinking, free thinking, sharing ideas so that then people can respond to those and people can think about it for themselves. I might encourage you, Deborah, just to do this. Instead of being quick to go to the comment section, think about what was being said rather than whether or not it was someone's opinion or not. The other thing is this, is I don't think Christians can think enough, Deborah. I think we need more and more people to think in the Christian community, and that's why we need more and more Christians sharing their ideas and sharing their thoughts. I think this is a problem with Christianity writ large. We don't think enough. We don't value the process of thinking and think that thinking in and of itself is an intrinsic good because it's a gift God gave to us. So I don't want to shut down conversation. I want to insert 
thoughts, ideas, and opinions at time, and hear people respond to those. So that's why I, I insert my opinion. And by the way, this is the very thing that causes people in the world to rightly accuse Christians of cultic thinking. When we shut down free thought, when we shut down free speech, and we don't share openly and honestly about what we're thinking on issues, and we're not bold about that, then what that does is it makes people think that we don't have a voice and we don't have anything to offer in the conversation. And of course, that's not true. In fact, with this whole interview with Doug Wilson and Meet the Press, the press stumbles upon Christianity and they're surprised by it, as I've already said. And, and the reason they're surprised by Christianity when they actually see it in action is because there's so little of it in society. There's so many Christians who wish to just keep their Christianity private and not talk about it in the public square when it can actually help a great deal. We are so quick to be quiet and we are so quick to shut down conversation in the Christian church that we are accused of a cultic way of thinking because that's indeed what cults do. They shut down conversation, Deborah. They don't like open thought. They don't like free speech. They want everybody to think exactly like them. Now, while we do have orthodoxy and we agree upon those things as essential Christian doctrines, the one thing that we can't afford to do is to stop talking about them. So we need to do whatever we can to speak about them and speak about them openly, perhaps so that they become common knowledge maybe more so, so that we can hone our own ideas about these very things. The more we shut down conversation and, and you know, postulate and throw out scripture verses that are just cherry-picked and just say, hey, you know, it's um, God gave you two ears and, and one tongue so that you could listen more and speak less and be slow to speak and, and all of those things. Yes, of course, but speak because it's hard to preach the gospel while also being utterly silent. And lastly, this. The reason we must speak and the reason we must share our Christian views unapologetically, as Doug Wilson has and as I hope to do in this podcast, is that we have this mistaken belief that, that perhaps God is supposed to do everything for us. Um, there's a saying that I'm sure you guys have heard in one way or another, but basically this, that prayer doesn't change the world. Prayer changes us, and then we change the world. See, we're the ones who are supposed to be out there making this world a little bit more like heaven. This is what we're called to do. This is what Doug Wilson is doing. And because he's doing it somewhat effectively, it garners the attention of haters on the left. In fact, that's what Jesus did. We have this impression that Jesus was so dastardly and God-awfully loving that people just wanted to get rid of him because he was too warm and fuzzy, rather than that Jesus actually rubbed people the wrong way from time to time. Jesus debated in the streets with Pharisees and Sadducees and city leaders and, and people with bad motives. And, and Jesus was very direct and very clear. And because of it, people wanted him dead. In fact, I understand you can be annoying and people want you gone, but you can also be very right. And that's why people want you gone. And it's up to us to distinguish between those two things by thinking and speaking openly. And so whatever we can, in, can do to encourage independent thought, free speech, open dialogue, we need to do, even if it comes at the expense of sharing your, quote, opinion. So once you've thought for yourself and you've got something to say, say it, because silence is a lie. If you have something to say, and God forbid there ever be an eerie silence because well-meaning Christians have shut down open dialogue in the Christian church, especially at a time when Christians are needed more and more 
and more. So speak. And in fact, if you have a thought, you can share it down in the comment section below. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And go with God. Thank you.